Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk, today on the show. In the week when Year 11 students get their GCSE results, we're asking, do you have to be able to pass a maths exam to be a good investor? The world of investing is full of numbers and calculations, but do you have to understand it all in order to succeed? That's the focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us, or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Depending on when you hear this, hundreds of thousands of school pupils will either know their GCSE results or will still be nervously waiting for them. Based on results from last year, the average grade for GCSE maths is somewhere between a 5 and a 6, or between a C and B grade in old money. That counts as a solid pass, but would it be enough to make you a good investor? The world of investing is full of figures and calculations, but does that mean it's off limits for those of us who are less numerically minded? To answer that, I'm joined by Fidelity Investment Director Tom Stevenson. Tom, uh, welcome along. Um, I'm going to warn you and the listeners that there will be a gentle test at the end of this conversation. But before we get to that, how important is it, Tom, that people have at least some understanding of the numbers involved when it comes to investing? Yes, well, I mean, as you say, uh, the world of investing and everything that's written about investing is is full of all sorts of uh, figures and ratios and and, and calculations. Uh, so it clearly it clearly is important. I think you know there are there are two basic uh, factors that come when you're when you're assessing uh, the 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 value or the merit of a of an investment. One is one is the 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 the, the rate at which uh, a company is is, is growing. How, how how successful it is, how how well it's doing, um, and the second element is the price that you pay for that uh, growth. So, uh, you know, they are kind of a qualitative and a quantitative uh, element, mm. and I think that it's important uh, that an investor has an understanding of both of those uh, elements. They need to they need to see the, the the big picture. They need to see the qualitative story, but they also need to be able to measure it in some way. Uh, so, yeah, numbers do matter. Yeah, and we're going to come on to to some of the areas of uh, the maths and the arithmetic that, that that you'll see a lot in investing. But also, we'll come on to some ways in which you can avoid dealing with that stuff if you if you really don't want to. Um, but you and I, Tom, have worked in and around investing for many years. We've had a lot of contact with people who work professionally in uh, in the business. Um, you seldom find anyone who's working in investment who doesn't have at least very good arithmetic I would say in my experience but it's also true is it not that actually they're not all some kind of um, sort of maths geniuses a lot of them haven't studied maths at university that's certainly true when it comes to fund managers and some of the best of those they have a much more rounded sort of educational background Tom it's not all about numbers. Yes, that's true. I mean, you, you do quite often find that uh, that good investors have um, maybe an accountancy uh, background because that allows them to be slightly more sort of forensic in in their analysis of of uh, the sort of underlying accounts uh, of a company. But I think that you're right that 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 there is a place for that sort of generalist, rounded educational background in investment, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that investing is. Uh, is itself a reflection of many different aspects of of the world around us. So you know when you when you're thinking about the the investment context, uh, you're thinking about geopolitics. You're thinking about social trends and how mm. they're changing. 
macroeconomics, politics, regulatory uh, influences. So there are lots of things which are not necessarily uh, numerical uh, in, in nature, but to, to understand what's going on in the markets and, and, and where an investment fits into that changing situation, um, you know, does require more than just an understanding of the numbers. And it's also worth pointing out, Ed, that, um, that, that looking at the numbers alone can be can be something of a trap because, uh, you know, you might find an investment which on the face of it looks attractive from a purely numerical perspective. You know, an investment ratio might look um, very appealing. Uh, but if you don't understand that broader qualitative context, then you might you might fall into a trap of believing that something is a good investment when actually it's not. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I mean, we've spoken in the past about um, something like dividend yields, where you can see how much income a company has paid. That will be expressed as a number. But unless you have an interpretation of the context around that number, it's not all that meaningful and it can be quite dangerous, right? You need to have a view attached to the number. Yes, and, and actually the, the, that dividend yield example that you give is a, is a good one because uh, it, it, it's quite possible that, uh, that a dividend yield is actually too high. It's too good to be true. And the, the reason why a dividend yield appeal, appears to be so high is that actually there's very little chance that the company is going to pay that dividend. And so uh, you're right to say that you need to understand the context and you need to make a judgment about uh, how realistic that particular measure actually is. Yeah, indeed. Okay, well, Tom, like I said, we're recording in the week that uh, GCSE results come out. Everyone will have taken the maths GCSE, anyone taking those exams. Um, and so we're using that really as the jumping off point for for some of the, to discuss some of the sort of basic areas of, of maths that kind of are useful and which are kind of inescapable when it comes to investing um an obvious place to start tom is with percentages um that's something that you well you can't move can you in the world of investment <laughs> without bumping into many 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 different types of percentages what's important for people to understand when it comes to percentages and investing yes well i mean you, you mentioned dividend yields that's that's obviously expressed as a percentage but uh, i was also talking earlier on there about growth uh, about how well a company uh, is doing and that is very often expressed um, uh, as a percentage a company is growing at you know 10% a year or 15% a year or or, or w w whatever I think one example which maybe maybe I'd give which which uh, I think is uh, a useful illustration of how important percentages are is um, uh, to understand how much you need to grow an investment to to regain a loss that you've incurred so for example if 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 the market has fallen by 25 percent over a period of time and that's exactly what it did uh, actually in the first half of this year how much do you need to uh increase your investments from that low point in order to recover all of the loss and instinctively you might think well the market's fallen 25 percent um it needs to rise by 25%. That's not true. If it's fallen by 25%, you actually need to grow it by 33% just to get back to square one. So that's a nice illustration of, of, of the importance of percentages. Yeah, it's one of the, yeah, it's, it's just very important, isn't it? When you're, 
you, we all do, I think, as investors, these sort of mental sort of back of an envelope calculations about about yeah returns over the long term. And you, and you need to have an understanding of exactly that sort of thing. Well, my investment's fallen by this. This is what I'm going to need it to grow to to recover the ground. Um, and it does come with practice and familiarity, doesn't it? You do get a, a, a better sense for it. You don't, you know, you're not always sort of working it out to the final decimal place. You just have a feeling for it. No, absolutely. It's 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 a general uh, understanding uh, that that matters. And as you say, it does come with familiarity. Um, uh, and and the, and the precision is not really is not really helpful in the, in these cases. It's the broad figures that matter. Yes, yes. Now um, another thing, Tom, that you hear a lot about in connection with uh, investing is compounding. Of course, we talk about it all the time, um, and it often intersects with percentages. Uh, why is understanding compounding so important, Tom? Yeah, I mean, compounding is a is a fundamental uh, aspect uh, of uh, investing, and 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 to, to to express it simply, I always think that it, it, it's 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 effectively saying that the same percentage uh, on a, on a larger amount will actually deliver you a bigger sort of uh, real pounds and pence return. So you know, if you make a ten percent return uh, on a hundred pounds, then obviously that's a ten pound return. Uh, if you make a 10% return on a million pounds, um, that is £100,000. So uh, it's an argument for getting started in investing because the most important element, arguably, uh, in investment is time. The longer that you can allow your investments to grow, the more that you will benefit from this uh, this compounding effect. The 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 uh, the, the growth, the, the the addition of interest on interest that you have already earned, and and it's a very very powerful um, um, factor. I think Einstein or uh, someone, maybe Mark Twain, it's always <laughs> one, it's always one or the other. Jonathan <laughs> Swift is uh, the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, compounding is the uh, the eighth wonder of the world, and and indeed it is. When you see the effect of starting starting early and allowing your investments to grow over time, it, it can be pretty uh, breathtaking. Yeah, and you always have these the, the sorts of quotes that I always forget, Tom. But what is it? Is it what what percentage return do you need? What annual percentage return do you need for your money to double in ten years? Is it I don't know seven percent or something like that? It's it's it, it, these these things are good to remember in terms of how powerful it can be yes that's right so, so what you've what you've just referenced there is, is one of my favorite little sort of uh, uh numerical things in, in investment which is which which i call the rule of 72 and effectively what what it what it means is that uh in order to understand the number of years it will take your money to double at a certain percentage uh rate uh, you need to divide that percentage rate into 72. So as, you, uh, as I think you, you intimated there, if you're growing at 7% a year, if that's the return that you're achieving, you divide 7 into 72 and it's approximately uh, 10 years. That's really, that's quite a, quite a powerful thing, isn't it? You think that, you know, 7% doesn't sound, it doesn't sound that, that massive uh, a growth rate. It sounds achievable uh, in, in investment terms. Uh, but you do that consistently, then in 10 years time, you'll have doubled your money. 
Yeah, and, and you see, of course, the effect of compounding not just on, on the returns on your investment, but also on the cost of your investments as well. And I always think this is very interesting because people can sometimes overlook the cost of investing because it's so often expressed as a very, very small number, maybe just a few tenths of a percent on your amount invested. But compounding, of course, means that that builds up and can add up to a much larger number later on. And actually having an understanding of compounding is important when it comes to assessing cost in investment. That's a really good point, Ed, because uh, essentially compounding works in both directions in exactly the same way. It works for growth, but it also works for uh, the erosion uh, of value through through costs. And as you say, uh, you know, even a relatively small um, cost of you know maybe one percent a year, if you compound that up year after year for maybe twenty five or thirty years, you might find that the 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 end value of your investments is significantly lower than it would have been had you had a lower a lower cost of maybe half a percent so it's important that those those tiny percentages really do matter the longer you're involved in uh, with your investments yeah i mean i i always think you know if um i mean different different investments have different costs but but you know there is variation between quite similar sorts of um assets out there and you know if you if you have a difference of say 1% in, in the price of your investment, that's that's huge. I mean, a professional investor, if they were outperforming the, the market by 1% every year, they would they would be one of the most successful investors anywhere, wouldn't they? They would they would have an amazing track record just by that small difference. So you know it's a it's a good nudge to to drill down your costs where you can and to make sure you're getting value for what you're paying for. Absolutely, because uh, it's all very well saying, oh, well, that investment is cheaper, therefore it's better. It's not as simple as that. Um, you know, it is entirely possible that an effective, a skillful, uh, active manager can can add more value than they are losing because losing on your behalf because the cost of that fund is is more expensive. Um, but you do need to make sure uh, or endeavour to make sure that you are getting value for, for that extra cost. Yeah, indeed, indeed. But um, Tom, I guess the reality is that there will be some people out there who just, they have a blind spot when it comes to numbers. It's a real turnoff. They don't particularly want to engage in it. It shouldn't be the case, should it, that investing is off limits to those people because it can be so important to financial security, whoever you are, and it shouldn't just be dependent on uh, on you being a whiz at maths. Um, now, luckily, there are options, aren't there, in terms of investments for people who can't or don't want to understand all the numbers. Um, what can they do in terms of the choices that they make so that they don't necessarily have to engage in all those numbers? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, investment is for everyone. Some people uh, enjoy it. Some people enjoy the, the, the numerical uh, challenge. They get a kick out of, out of the numbers. Uh, other people don't. And if you don't, that's fine. Let someone else do it for you. Uh, and also keep your investments uh, simple. I mean, you may, you may simply want to track the, track the, uh, the, the index by buying mm -hmm. a, uh, an index tracker fund, uh, which coming back to our conversation about costs is a is a is a low cost way uh, of investing uh, so if you don't feel that you have the skill or uh, the uh, inclination even to try and discover who who the best active managers are you don't have to do that you can, you can keep it simple with a with a tracker fund yeah indeed and there's there's there's, there's many types of multi-asset funds where you just simply choose 
you know, uh, the, the level of risk that you want to take. And that's perhaps an easier thing for some people to understand. Um, and then away you go. You don't need to make any decisions after that. And of course, ultimately, if you really don't want to engage in this sort of stuff, you can um, employ a professional financial advisor who might be able to give you you know, take those numbers and percentages and ratios or whatever they are and give you more sort of real world pounds and pence figures that can help you make your decisions. Yes, and they may just be able to give you a sort of more holistic advice about your your personal circumstances than maybe than you have the knowledge or the or the or the interest to do yourself. So uh, if that's you, then, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. Just 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 accept that that's that that's not what you enjoy and do something else and pay some pay someone else to do that nitty-gritty for you yes absolutely um okay well finally tom now i did promise or i threatened that there would be uh, a mild test at the end of this conversation <laughs> oh, tom. so I've, I've dug out uh, a couple of questions that have appeared on past GCSE maths exams. Um, by the way, it was a really interesting exercise, this, because, I mean, w- whenever the results come out for GCSEs and for A-levels, there's always this sort of conversation about, uh, you know, whether exams are getting easier and there's sort of um, grade inflation and, and everything's going to hell in the handcart. Um, I, I think there should be a test. Before you're allowed to make those kind of comments, you have to go and pass <laughs> a GCSE maths exam because I've been looking at these questions. It's much harder than I remember it being. I mean, I suppose... When you're young and you're doing it every week, maybe uh, it's a it's a, a little easier. But this is um, it was a something of a shock. It came something of a shock to me to see exactly how uh, bad it was. It's very triggering to see those exam questions once again. Um, I bet it but was. Tom, I bet it was. I bet it, yeah. Well, listen, I've dug out a, few, a couple a couple of uh, what I thought were actually the more simple. Um, questions that I could find from these papers and ones that might have some sort of relevance to the world of investing to see how you get on with them, Tom. Um, And so let's let's go through them and see uh, where we get to. The first question is this. Tariq, it says, Tariq buys a laptop. He gets a 5% discount off the normal price and Tariq pays £551 for his laptop. And the question is, work out the normal price of the laptop um and i can't remember tom whether this one allowed calculators or not and i'm gonna say i'm gonna let the cat out of the bag a little bit and say that you have had some advance warning of these questions but that doesn't mean i've given you the answers so how did you get on tom yeah well i think i do i understand the concept there i think i i probably would hope that this was in the calculator paper because it's uh, a little bit complicated so essentially he's got a five percent discount off the normal price that means that the price he paid 551 pounds is 95 percent of the pre-discount price so yeah. to work out the pre-discount price i would divide that by 95 and multiply it by 100 now i can't do that in my head but i'm <laughs> guessing i'm guessing it's about 575 or something like that is it 580 and that's the answer I got to, but uh, again. right, yes. Well, that sounds that sounds entirely <laughs> plausible. As I say, I, I can't. I, I'm not very good at dividing by ninety five in my head. But <laughs> yeah, no. But do you know what? It's interesting you say that. You at least got to the point where you could sort of figure out the, you know, the equations involved. I yeah. I'm going to confess. I simply used an online calculator to work out the answer to that one. Um, but they there, you know, therein lies a lesson. <laughs> you don't always need to do it out on a bit of paper. Um, okay, so well, we'll move on, Tom, to the next the next question. And uh, obviously, listeners can do these 
at home in their heads or not, or on a bit of paper with a calculator without, if they wish. Uh, the second question is this, Tom. Shirley, there's always someone involved in these questions. Shirley <laughs> wants to find an estimate for the number of bees that she has in her beehive. Um, okay. And on Monday, she catches 90 bees from the beehive. She puts a mark on each one of them and returns them to the hive. On Tuesday, the next day, she catches 120 of the bees. She finds that 20 of these bees have been marked. And the question says, work out an estimate for the total number of bees in her hive. I read wow. this question, Tom, and I thought there must be something missing because you simply don't have enough uh, information to, to get the answer. But um, uh, I am assured that you do. So uh, having looked at that one, what do you say? Well, what I say is that's a lot more difficult than the first one. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think I understand it. So, so, she, she, so she catches 90 of these bees and she marks them and she puts them back. So what we know yes. is that there are 90 marked bees in, in, in the beehive. Right. So yeah. she now... She now takes out, or the following day, she takes out 120 of them and finds that 20 of them have got the mark. So yeah. that, what that says to me is that, that one in six of the bees in the hive yeah. have, got a, have got a mark on them. We know that she put 90 marked bees back into the hive. So what I'm going to say is that it's uh, six times 90 uh, is um, is the total number of bees in the hive, which because is five hundred and forty. Five hundred and forty, yeah. Because <laughs> one in one in one in six of them are marked, so therefore it must be six times. Yeah, I'm going to say five hundred and forty. Yeah, that though I I I um, well, let's say I follow your logic. You'd make a very good maths teacher, Tom. I think because uh, <laughs> you explain that very clearly. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. Um, yeah, it's an interesting exercise, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we, we're so reliant on, I mean, for, I'll speak for myself, for, as I say, online calculators, things that can just do things uh, so quickly. Um, when it's actually laid out and you're supposed to work it out for yourself, um, it's, a, it's quite instructive. It should make everyone a little bit more humble, I think, about their uh, criticisms of <laughs> people and their maths. Um, but listen, Tom, that is all the time we have for now. Uh, thanks for joining me and good luck to anyone waiting on exam results, whether you or your family are waiting for results this week. And thanks so much for listening. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast 
podcasts are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.